been a while, Jim, but I have something for you. It's a New Year's gift. Any idea? Great. (laughs) (laughs) So my gift to you is a Bleacher Report list of the greatest entrances of all time. (laughs) Okay. Now, I'm going to be serious. I'm going to tell you when I... (laughs) Yeah, you're going to be serious. You're already laughing your ass off. This is a list that they actually went through the effort and searched through all of wrestling. Like, it's not a North American list. It's all of wrestling. And the they made a list of 50. And the highest Japanese guy on this list was number 40. Okay, number 40. That's the best. <laughs> <laughs> and his entrance, as much as I like him, his entrance is pretty kind of bland. And he... Thoughts on who they might have said was the greatest ring entrance in Japan? Oh my god! Like, like I don't even. It's it's obviously just somebody famous and has nothing to do. Yeah, with their entrance, right? Yeah, it's it's like it's an old school guy. Right. It's probably Anoki or uh, you wait a little bit too old. But at that, I uh, to be honest with you, Anoki has got a good entrance. But uh, I like his entrance, but I thought maybe like like they would just pick somebody that just like walked the ring. <laughs> okay, so they did. And number 40 is Kenta Kobashi. <sighs> it, there's nothing like, okay, look, he's great. The crowd gets hyped, but he just stands behind the screen and walks out to the music. And it's not that like uplifting or it's not that like involving. It's Goldberg without the pyrotechnics. Yeah, that's. I think that's a great. It's by far not the greatest entrance in Japanese wrestling history. That's for damn sure, right? No. Okay, so that's a good way for you to think about what's going to come on today's list. Okay, so this list will probably infuriate you to no end. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) before we get into the list, when you think about it, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but are there any wrestlers whose entrances that you really like or you really mark out for? Any come to mind? Oh, yeah, like... I love Nakamura's entrance, but only when he has somebody live playing the violin. Um, I love, I love, I love the uh, the six one nine Rey Mysterio entrance where he pops out and like like the platform like shoots him in the air a little bit. Sure, I like that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm not big on Shawn Michaels, but it was a, it's a good intro with the pyrotechnics and stuff. So that's like the latest version of the Michaels. Like that's when he's at his peak, right? Because his early yeah. stuff is just that, you know, Martel song playing in the background, that screeching voice song, right? Like there was nothing to it. It was just a song. Yeah. Okay. So I'll tell you who I like. And I, I love the at his peak Bray Wyatt entrance with uh, the light and he blows out. Yeah, oh, that's really my good. God, that's, it always sent chills down my spine. I thought that was outstanding. I love the cartoonish entrance of Jushin Thunder Liger. Like it's like a real yep. anime come to real life. You know what I mean? I think that was a, an excellent entrance. And then there's a couple of other guys whose entrances like at once, just at one shot was incredible. I'm going to say the debut of Jericho on Raw. Yes. Out fucking standing, right? 
Yeah, that one's amazing. Yeah, amazing. So there's a couple, but the ones we've pointed out, I think, well, let's get to the list. Okay, so number 10, the greatest entrances of all time. And if I'm going to be frank, maybe number 10 on this list, all he had was his entrance. Number 10, the ultimate warrior. <laughs> yeah, like it's all, yeah, it's a great, it's a great entrance, but like that's, that's the thing that he has, that's right? It. That's it. There's nothing else, right? He comes to the ring. He's blown up. He has to finish the match in a couple of seconds and leave. You know what I mean? Because like, he's blown up from the H- Hogan might have more moves than him, right? Right, right. right. Okay, so number 10, Warrior. Number nine. For me, this is way too low on like on the list. It should be more close to number one. Number nine, Steve Austin with the glass shattering. Yeah, that's great. Like That's great because the crowd gets hyped right on the glass shattering. Right. Yeah. And so I think yeah, that, that should be higher. That should be higher. Okay. Number eight. So far, the list is good. Number eight. Sandman. Sandman, again, like a lot of this is because of crowd. Because like when I was in ECW Arena and like that came out, that place went bonkers, like more so than any other guy on the whole card. Mm -hmm. And his entrance got more pops than his matches. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. No doubt. For sure. Okay. But I don't think his entrance translates into like a Tokyo Dome or Madison Square Garden, right? That's the only thing. No. No, no way. It's it's for a confined place, but it was very good. Okay, next. Number seven, you've already mentioned it, Shawn Michaels. I agree. There was a time when his entrance was kind of cool, but that's when they invested a lot of money in him. Okay, fair. Okay, so number seven. So far, so good. Warrior, Austin, Sandman, Michaels, and number six, Macho Man Randy Savage. I think it's a good entrance. I think the music is very iconic. I think the way he comes down to the ring is very cool. What are your thoughts on Macho Man? Yeah, I think it should be higher. I think yeah. just because like he like as we talked about in the in the last match, like his arrogance just comes out in his entrance. It's fantastic. Really fantastic. Okay, so rounding out 10 through 6, one more time, we have Ultimate Warrior, Steve Austin, Sandman, Shawn Michaels, Randy Macho Man Savage at number six. So number five, this is a love or hate it, Goldberg. What do you think? I hate Goldberg. I hate everything about Goldberg. Like I understand, like I understand how they built him. Sure. Once he loses, mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And it's okay. It's, it was okay. Like it's like it's cool. It's cool in that era, right? But it's certainly. Not- now yeah agreed it's a little bit out of touch and to be honest with you i know this is going to sound crazy and nobody would put this on a list but for me i prefer the gilberg entrance over the goldberg entrance (laughs) (laughs) i like this way better yeah yeah it's pretty funny okay here we go jim internet bullshit number four (sighs) the brood the brood (laughs) do you even remember who that is the brood yeah, yeah, it's 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 um, Gangrel Christian. Edge, That's correct. Right? Do you remember the entrance? Did then they raise from the ground slowly or something? To be honest, and it had like a you, red a red yeah, light right. a red light maybe. Right, I remember but the like, red light. Yeah. That's all I remember. I don't remember anything. It else. was trying to be spooky, but like they were attractive dudes, so it didn't come off as spooky right right it was it didn't fit them it was i don't know where they thought the brood was a good entrance okay then number three oh this is fucking ridiculous i first of all i have to be honest <laughs> you're uh, mad before you even yeah. tell me i fucking hate this guy and i hate his work and i hate everything about his in-ring stuff it's just fucking lame to me number three 
Triple H. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not. I always felt that like, like because as you got into wrestling more, you understood like the politics. Right. I felt that a lot of his stuff was just because of his politics that he was able to get over and get in these like main spots. And he won, he won feuds that didn't make sense for storylines. And like his, his entrance, like you spit water in the air. Right. <laughs> like, so what? Right. Like, yeah. So what? Who fucking cares. Right. Okay. And then number two, I think this is a no brainer. Ric Flair, good entrance. It's timeless. You know, when you think about his entrance, especially in the Rumble in 92, or when he entered into the WWF where he had a bigger audience, I thought it was iconic. Very, very good. The music is just like Savage, classic. What do you think about Flair's entrance? I thought it was going to be one. That's what I thought. And so then number one, any thoughts who it could be? Jesus Christ, please don't tell me Hogan. No, Hogan didn't make the top 10, incredibly. Oh, thank God. I thought for <laughs> sure it would be Hogan. So, nope. um, the, well, the only name that comes to mind that's not on the list that I would have put on the list is Kurt Angle. Oh. I don't think he's won, so I don't know. Yeah, he's not there either. But I think you'll think this is not a bad choice at number one. I don't think it's number one, but number one is The Undertaker. Yeah, all right. Like, that's... Yeah, but like, it's like okay. he's But he's spooky. Like, this is the polar right. opposite of the brood, Right. Right, like, not right. not the early cartoony stuff, but as he got more developed as a character, like yeah, it's great. But like, there's times when he had like that motorcycle Ugh. character entrance, yeah. and like he had like stuff that didn't work. So, you know, if I'm thinking about his entrance, which entrance are we talking? We're about? talking are about we the talking one about... with the druids, where he's got the druids right. lined so, up. I agree. I think that's a good entrance. Or when Paul Bearer comes with the urn leading him to the ring and his eyes are rolling in the back of his head and it's ominous before the giant Gonzalez stuff. That stuff's also <laughs> kind of good. You know, like, <laughs> There's the jump like, the shark, right? Giant Gonzalez. Right, 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 right. That was the jump the shark. Okay, so, but this list, you know, the reason why I wanted to talk about the best entrances of all time is I think in this week's match, we have a guy, you've already mentioned it, who's got the greatest entrance on point right now it's like absolutely perfect i fucking love shinsuke nakamura's entrance and for this week's match we're talking about great the great muta's last match so this is january 1st 2023 great muta's last match against shinsuke nakamura the entrance for nakamura i think stole the fucking show what do you think yeah like i i love his entrance and it's by itself it's great just the poses and the flamboyance but like when he has a live violin it's like mm -hmm. ramped up like it's times 10 and it's already great and so this time right before the violin kicks in there's a pianist right playing and you you know it's hard to pick up what the song is because i'm not sure if they're gonna play Muda's entrance or Shinsuke, they didn't announce who's coming out first. They just, the piano starts playing. And at first it's kind of like difficult to pick up what the song is. And then all of a sudden the violinist comes out and he like starts going at it. And at, when it kicks in, you can like hear like the tones or the notes coming out before they come out. You know what I mean? Like you could predict yeah. it and you could just imagine what's going to happen. You know, in very much the same way, I think Seth Rollins has a great fucking intro song for yep. about 30 seconds 
and then they ruin it with that fucking heavy rock shit. Oh, <laughs> they should just keep it that oh whatever that that the yeah. stupid chat thing that they do. Oh, it's so fucking good. But like Nakamura, in much the same way, like the audience can really get into it, right? Like they can really chant along. They were mesmerized, and the way he came to the ring, like his outfit and his body language and the way he moved and the violet everything was just fucking perfect agreed yeah and this is a huge deal in japan right like i'm just speculating but it has to be a huge deal because he hasn't been there in forever that's right he hasn't been there for a long time and this is the first time in a very very long time that the wwf or wwe has allowed their talent to go and work outside of their promotion i don't know if you remember jim in the 90s WCW lost a lawsuit to ECW, and as a result of that lawsuit, they allowed Cactus Jack to work dates for them while under contract to WCW. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, there was a little, like a little time where that happened, a little bit of overlay between when he was in WCW and just before he was released and going to ECW, where he was on loan to ECW huh. as a result of a lawsuit. Right, yeah. So like that was the one instance that came to my mind where a big organization lent talent out to another organization and so i started researching like you know when has this happened or when has the wwf done this and i was fucking blown out of my mind when i went on youtube and i found that they lent listen to this listen i couldn't fucking believe this you could find this shit on the internet there was a local indie show in connecticut that was raising money for charity and somehow they asked the WWF, no, sorry, WWE, if they could lend them John Cena to go work the indie show. Okay. So then John really? Cena's, wait, wait, it gets better. John Cena is a WWE champion at the time. So the, he agrees he will referee in the main event. So while he's refereeing this main event with 300 people in the crowd, there's a spot in the match where like there's a botch and the referee gets like caught up in the action. Out of fucking nowhere, Vince McMahon comes to the ring in a suit and attacks John Cena in a fucking indie show. <laughs> I couldn't fucking believe the crowd. That's incredible. The crowd had to go bananas. They were losing their mind. Lose totally losing their mind. You've got to see it. It's fucking incredible. It's amazing. But like, I don't ever hear them doing stuff like that. Like normally, it's very, very, very rare. I think. That's the only instance I've ever heard of them doing anything like that. Do you know of any? This has to be the influence of Triple H to be willing to do this thing with Nakamura. And I mean, like, and like, 2023 is going to be a big year for WWE. And I know that sounds weird coming out of my mouth, but like, Mm -hmm. they just signed Dragon Lee. Right. but, But not only did they sign Dragon Lee, they said he can keep all his merchandising deals that he has in place with his two brothers. Wow. So all so all the family merch with like um with Drillistico and Roosh, like mm-hmm. all that stuff he gets to still do. Like they're wow. like you're going to see a really big change and you might see more of this type of thing going forward. It's been a long time coming, you know what I mean? Like they they're playing catch up and I so I think now they're going to loosen up the restraints a little bit and that could work either for them or against them but i'm betting it's working for them i think that's a smart move so as much as i don't like what triple h did in the ring i really think he's making all the right moves outside of the ring i do i, I agree. think he's doing right yeah okay all right so this week's match 
is a great Muda's final match. And before we get into the match, Jim, I want just very quickly for the audience to know, what are your thoughts on Muda in general? I know you saw Muda and Flair live and you have great memories of that. But like, what do you think about him in general or what are the things that stick out to you about his career? I think like he, for me, he's the reason there's a cruiserweight division. He's the reason like the aerial stuff came after the cartoon stuff for WWF. Like when you watch him in WCW when he shows up, you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, like mm. what, what am I seeing with this handspring elbow and this, like this really, really fast moonsault? Like, what right. is, what is the deal with this guy? And like, and he's, he's the predecessor to Jericho with reinventing himself, right? Changing yeah. his, fi- changing his finishers. Like nobody, Nobody changed their finishers like that before him. Like when he went to the Shining Wizard from the Moonsault for obvious, for obvious reasons for wear and tear on his body. But sure. like, like, yeah, like he revolutionized so many things that people don't pay attention to, in my opinion. I think you're right in many ways that he made it possible for a heavyweight guy to perform light heavyweight moves, if that makes any sense. And he yeah. showed, yeah, and he showed like, you know, it's possible to be more athletic and not just be you know, the punch, kick, eh, at most a drop kick or mat work heavyweight, right? Like he started flying around and doing all these things. And he pushed guys in North America, especially to like their limits. And especially for heavyweight guys, like he really did that. He took, you know, the logic that Steamboat was using and he brought it to the heavyweight division and he worked with Flair and he worked with all the guys on top like that. And I think he caused them to really step up their game. I think he was very influential in North America. Of course, is extremely, extremely influential in Japan. He was part of a group called the Three Musketeers, which was him, Chono, and Hashimoto. And whatever you think about these three, I think Muda was the best of those three. What do you think? Yeah, I don't even think it's close. Yeah, I don't think it's close either. And then... The one thing that I'm curious if you can answer, okay, this is a trivia question. Muto is one of four guys who's held all three major Puro Rest championships. That means the Triple Crown, the IWGP, and the GHC title. There's four guys, okay? And when I thought about that, four fucking guys held all of those? Four guys. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? And I thought about it, thought about it. I couldn't come up with it. But when I heard the answer, I was like, oh, yeah, it's these four. Other than Muto, can you guess who are the other three guys who held those titles? Kobashi? No. Kobashi never held the IWGP. Oh. That's not Masawa's never held the IWGP. No. No. Well, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did Akiyama do it? No. Okay. um, That's three three strikes. I got nothing. Okay, so the guys on this list, I think when you think about these guys, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, they held the a- no, All Japan title when it was meaningless. Or, oh, yeah, they held the NOAA title when it was kind of worthless. So the four guys are Kensuke, okay. Takayama, and Kojima. I can't believe Takayama held them all. Yeah, that's really odd. Do you remember him yeah. holding the IWGP? I don't remember that. No. Yeah, I don't remember Not that. At all. I was like, yeah, but Takayama Kensuke seems reasonable. I I remember yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And then Kojima, I think he held the All Japan title when it was kind of worthless. You know what I mean? Like there's like 
it's like PWG. It's not a big deal at that time. Right, right, so, right. Yeah, he's he's done that, it later. Well, he's he's clearly the he held it like although he didn't hold he didn't hold the GHC. He held that mm-hmm. recently, right? Like that's that right, was like right. last year or something. So like that's everybody right, right. everybody's got a weird run in there for it. That's correct. But I think Muda is the only guy who's kind of done it when each of the titles were significant, right? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So with that said, his place in history to me is undeniable. I think he is of his generation in New Japan. If we think about him, I think we think about him as a New Japan guy. Yes. He's the best of his generation. And his retirement match happened on January 1st, 2023 at 60 fucking years old 60 that's incredible he's 60 jim <laughs> so you know i wanted to shit on him look he's like fucking limping and walking down the looking but like he's 60 man he's fucking 60 <laughs> holy shit you know we praised Inoki like crazy when he had his match at 53 okay and i think that match was a very very fantastic match this match is nowhere near that good but this match is seven years after that. You know what I mean? Like, holy shit. Yeah, and Anoki was never doing moonsaults and had multiple knee surgeries. And Right, right, right. Okay, so this match was held in the Budokan, and uh, me and Jim found a link for this match. on the, uh, We had planned to old-school tape trade it. It didn't work. But uh, we found a link on YouTube, and as is with YouTube, unfortunately, the link was removed for copyright protection already. But what's interesting about the link was we watched half of the commentary in Japanese, and then suddenly it switched over to English. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Somebody must have switched the, the commentary button to from uh, Japanese to English. And so the Japanese commentary booth, it was a star-studded event. They had Jushin Thunder Liger in the commentary booth. And then they had Takeru, who is like this very hugely successful K1 guy. And they had a lot of celebrities. And then they had the main announcer okay so that was like the japanese commentary booth they unfortunately it was celebrities in the booth and liger is shitty on the mic so they just didn't gel well they it, they right. did not gel well but the main announcer he's always good he's fucking fantastic as usual right okay then on the english side that's a team of guys who does mma and wrestling and a whole bunch of stuff in japan the commentary i fucking hate their commentary style i don't know what it is about them they tried in this match to be like pumped and like energetic but like they called nxt next and like they did like (laughs) they did like like it showed like they weren't well versed in certain areas but in certain areas they knew the thing like the product very well it was kind of strange what do you think of the english commentary I felt like they were dudes watching wrestling, if that makes any sense. Like, not yeah. just like guys that are like, oh, like, let's watch this and just like run audio. Like, I know, I know they've had good commentary, but like their commentary botches mm-hmm. are just glaring. Like, when I, yeah. when I listen to a commentary for a match, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it's oblivious. Or that they say a couple things that are interesting or make me laugh. I never want commentary where I go, ugh. Right. And like, there was a lot of, ugh. And it wasn't even the whole match they did. Yeah. And you know what? I love it when the commentary either makes me think or teaches me something. They don't do that either. No. Right. So that's why I like Tanae. I love Tanae because he either teaches me something or he makes me think about something or search something 
while I'm in the middle of the match because I didn't know it. And I, I love that. But these guys are not pushing the envelope in either direction, right? Okay. No. Then the ref. Oh, I, I swear <laughs> to you. So it drove me fucking crazy. But I want to talk about what drove me crazy when we get to that spot in the match feedback because I think that'll be more reasonable. But I was not happy with this ref. He did many things wrong. He didn't build any extreme tension in his count. After Mudo's Shining Wizard, it was like a two count, but it wasn't like a close two or anything. His pacing was off. I didn't think he did a good job. What do you think? Yeah, I don't I don't know why he's there. I don't know if he has some significance mm-hmm. to to either wrestler. I you know, because I'm not well versed on that stuff for Japan. But right. like, yeah, he just he just was off. Like, I don't know if they were like calling spots on the fly or changing stuff that like got him out of position, but he was, he was not in position for a lot of things that would like, if he'd have been right there on that shining wizard, mm-hmm. like it could have made a little tension, like an uh, right. almost, but at no point was I like, Oh, this, this could happen here. Correct. And that's his, Correct. that's his job. That's his that's job right. to make me feel that way. I don't know why they didn't spend a little bit of money and get Tiger Hattori to come in, Red Shoes. You know, it's a special yeah. show, special event, right? Like that's... Oh, uh, Red Shoes would have been great. Yeah, or bring in Hebner. Bring in somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing. You know what I mean? Oh, terrible. Yes. Okay, then the match is slow, right? So let's get into the match right away. It's really slow, but you know, the guy's got... I don't know if he, he can barely walk. It, he's having trouble getting to the ring, right? It's obvious he's limping. And so you've got to do slow things. So it starts off really slow. And then the one thing that was really interesting about this match for me was, you know, Mike talked about it once. We, we had a, or one of the, our early, early podcasts. Mike said, look, how many times are you going to do the same move, right? He was, we were watching, I think, I don't know, some match where a guy did a DDT five times. He goes, the crowd yeah. is eventually going to get bored of it. And they're not going to find it exciting. But we saw the mist five times in this match, and every time it was exciting. <laughs> so, right. Well, I, you know, you know, I, you, don't, you don't expect to see all the colors of mist. Right. They, they did. They did interesting spots with it, which you've never seen because he's never wrestled Nakamura. Like it was. Right. It was well done. Right. I agree. I think you know it shows you can do something five, six, seven times in a match and still get it over. And so I don't know if there's a limit on how much you can do in a match, but I thought that was really good. We saw lots of mists and they all went off well, every single one of them. And then the slow start, as I mentioned, off the slow start, Muda picks up the pace a little bit, does a dragon screw, does his patented elbow off the ropes where he comes in and hits the guy on the ground. Those spots where he's been practicing them for, I don't know, like 30, 40 years, whatever it's been. I think 38 years was his career. Those moves are executed like perfection. But in the middle of those moves, when he's running the ropes or walking, it looks like he needs a cane. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> very straight. Yes. And, and like, yeah, the low, the low drop kick is still yes. great. Great. Like, All of them. Yeah. Very, very good. Okay. So then we, you know, they build slowly. Muda does his typical spots. But then something happened in this match that made me go, oh, my God. And I watched it repeatedly. And I don't remember ever seeing this before. And it may be that I've just missed it or I haven't seen the right Nakamura matches. But, you know, Muto's in the condition where he can't do the corner post backflip elbow. Like, that shit's just not going to happen with his knee. And so, like, when he puts Nakamura in the corner... I'm thinking, how the fuck are you going to do that move? Like, And so it, it's almost as if he teased it. But as he teased it, 
Nakamura very creatively gets himself into a position where Muda is going to go for a Shining Wizard, which gets blocked. And then Nakamura puts him in the corner and then lifts his legs up, seats him on the second rope. So his uh, underarms are draped over the top rope. His butt is hanging over the second rope. And then he goes away from Muda, does his best RVD impression, does a sliding tackle and pulls Muda into like a German suplex onto the canvas. The Japanese commentary had no name for that move. They were marking out. Have you ever seen that before? No. Like I've, no. Like that was amazing. Like that was so good. Like that's my first, like we obviously don't have a lot of notes on this match. Right. And that's like my first note is that at 19 minutes that move. Like, like it's wow. so good. Yeah, it's so it's so fucking creative. And I'm and sure perfect. he might have done it before, but in that yeah. moment, like yeah. I remember it. Right, right. I think that was the spot of the match. Outstanding. Okay, and then from there he does that. The crowd is kind of beside themselves. Nakamura gets in the ring and he's acting as if he's going to go for his finish, and then he gets misted in the face. So good. A uh, great, great counter. Gets misted in the face, and then Liger. <laughs> they cut to Liger and Liger goes, did WWE give approval for that misting? <laughs> right? As if, almost as if <laughs> like taking a shot at them. But like, that's that awesome. Was, that was great. And then here is where I lose my mind over the fucking ref. Now, Jim, I'm going to ask you a wrestling question, like a real pro wrestling question. Okay. you. I don't know if you know the answer. We've been watching wrestling long enough. So between the two of us, we should know. If you're being counted out on the outside of the ring, do you have a five count to break an illegal hold on the outside? <laughs> no. No, right? No. What the fuck is this? I was like, what kind of fucking rule set is this? I was losing my fucking mind. I knew you were, were going to bring this up. I was going, what the fuck? Cut the... Like, I, I started losing my shit. And so I, it drove me fucking insane. You know, the referee's job is not to go outside. Stay inside the ring. Count. You have a 20 count in Japan. 20. Why the fuck are you out there? Let them do whatever the fuck they do on the outside. Don't disturb the action. Let it play out because all you end up doing is you kill the tension that they're building. He fucked that up so fucking large for me. Not only that, not only that, but paying attention to that and then letting all the other shit go that happens in the ring later. Yeah. Completely makes no sense. The guy's covered with mist on his face. Where were you for that? <laughs> what, the, what about the yeah, chair? You bring the chair in the ring and you don't give a fuck. Oh my God. It was so fucking stupid. I was so incensed. You know, they think that the audience is dumb or he's dumb. I don't know which it is, but it was fucking, oh, it would drive me crazy. Okay, then Nakamura, you know, to counter Muda's chair. He starts going strong style, like really hardcore strong style. He's delivering knees. He's delivering like things you don't normally see in a wrestling match, things that Nakamura made famous in New Japan. All great. But then you have to remember, Jim, I'm already incensed by this ref. Okay. <laughs> I'm already incensed by this ref. And then my favorite spot of every match like this comes the 400 meter running lariat down the ramp. Ugh. Oh. Why the fuck do they 
Aja Kong didn't. She did the best of everyone we've seen so far. I, everybody's been chasing Aja Kong since right. then, but like no one else has done it. It was a fucking sloppy, messy fucking affair. It's crazy sloppy. Oh my god, Muda doesn't know if he should move away from the ropes or stay into the ropes. Nakamura hits him and then like leans off to the side, so his arm is kind of weak. I don't know what the fuck these were. Two, these two guys were doing here. You know, it was a real shame. Because it made it look kind of silly and ridiculous. Yes. But, uh, oh, I fucking hate it. It was driving me crazy. But then, back in the ring, a couple of great fucking things happened to redeem this. Out of nowhere, Nakamura puts on an armbar. And I don't know if you know, he has an MMA background. He did a fight or two, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so, he's applied it correctly, or at least it looks correct. But it's so fucking loose. (laughs) It's so loose. Yeah. yeah. so So, he lets Muda come out of it. But as Muda comes out of it, Without really struggling, he leans in and he sprays black mist in Nakamura's face. It's a great counter based on this character. It was very... I didn't expect it. It was a great surprise. Yeah, great surprise. Unexpected change in mist color. I was like, wow, this is really fucking cool. The crowd is eating this up. Then Muda's turn takes over one shining wizard, another shining wizard to the back. Again, the referee fucks up the count. But then from there, this is where Muda's world is going to maybe come crashing down. Okay? So the finish of this match is Shinsuke Nakamura comes up to Muta, grabs his face, and then he does... Actually, he steals Mac's lip lock in a standing position. And... He takes a lip lock, and at first... At first, the kind the commentary is it's atrocious here. He's biting his face. That's what they're saying. So they, they fuck out the clueless. So he's biting his face, and then he sucks out, in essence, from the story. He sucks out the poison from Muda's mouth, and then he sprays it in Muda's face, which is very, very, very fucking unexpected. Yeah, it's great. Oh, fucking fantastic. As far as finishes goes... It's fucking excellent. Then he hits a Kinshasa, one, two, three. Now, that's the end of the match. Everything's great. About 30 minutes later, Muda does a press conference. And there are already 30 different articles written about this. But what's going on here? Or I think it's important to explain. So many of our audience members may not know. So Muda did a press conference, and his words were about Nakamura. He's good, but maybe he's queer. Maybe he's a faggot. Right now... Now, let's think about this. The finish was Nakamura French-kissed Muta on the lips to steal the poison to attack a 60-year-old man. Okay? Let's think about that for a second. It sounds terrible when you say it like that. Right? Now, if I'm Muta, I'm a 60-year-old guy raised from a different generation. I just got French-kissed in the middle of 15,000 people in my retirement match. Is this such a fucking unusual or strange comment to say? You can't. No, it fucking. Yeah, yeah. you can't say that word. Like, you can't, like. The problem is, like, it's for the, all the articles are written out of context with the finish, right? Yeah, oh, 100%. So every article I've seen is just about him saying that word. Right, and I think they're saying it because we have this image about how Nakamura walks and he behaves and his body language is a little bit strange and weird. And, you know, that's that's the gist of the articles. He's flamboyant. He's flamboyant. Right. But 
Muda's not talking about that. Muda's <laughs> talking about being French kissed in the finish. That's what he's fucking talking about. Like, if he's being French kissed in the finish and he's heterosexual, should he not assume that his opponent is maybe gay? Like, wouldn't that be a logical comment to say in a scripted storyline pro wrestling world? You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck are we talking look, about? Look, look, man, you're right, but you can't say that word. Like, he could have... I understand, like, and this is this is the huge disconnect that people older than us mm. have with people younger than us. Right. You just can't... You can't say that. Yeah. You could have used... A hundred other words to get your point across, and you use that word, and that is the problem here. And I don't, and I don't know if it's a problem in Japan. Like I don't know. It probably, it's probably not as big of a deal. Yeah, it's not a big deal. So, but the English is a problem, right? Like English is his second language, and not only is it his second language, but we are not well versed on, you know pronouns and like none of that shit's going on here none of it none of it and so if you ask a japanese person how would you call somebody who's gay in english gay i don't think many people could come up with words other than queer gay and fag i don't think they have the vocabulary to describe it any other way you know it there was no maliciousness like you know the, the other issue too here. i agree there was i agree there's no maliciousness but it's right. the equivalent of using the n-word i know i know but like i like think like the, it's like it's huge so like I, like you're right like i get it so i don't disagree with you jim i think you know the n-word in itself in and of itself it has maliciousness attached to it but if we're talking about i'm not trying to win you over but if we're trying to talk about being french kissed by another man in public, like if we put it into context, then whatever he says here, whatever he says is going to be wrong, right? But like, I think he's trying to say for his last match, the reason why he lost was because something unexpected happened to him and he didn't know how to deal with it. And what was that thing? The guy caught him by surprise because he kissed him. You know, like, like that's the essence. And so like, is what he said true in terms of like the idea or the concept is it good yeah sure but was his execution good no absolutely not like he should not have but i don't think he knows i don't think they know they have no clue no clue i understand i understand he did i I, there's, I agree he didn't know but like in in today's world that's that's not gonna be a, a valid excuse yeah, you know i don't think if you tell a japanese person like these are all the terms and these are all the things so you should say sorry I don't know how well that goes over. Like, I think this is a very essentially North American thing. Like, if you move away from North America, a lot of people don't put much merit into, like, this, you know, language equality issue. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if language equality is the right word. I'm not talking about this issue per se. I'm just talking about, like, political correctness. It's not as big a deal in the rest of the world as it is in North America. And so... How unacceptable it is or is, is a question of like culture. And like, it's it's tricky because he's going to be judged because he said it in English. Had he said it in Japanese, nobody would have given a fuck, which is also kind of strange, right? Correct. Like That's it, 100% correct. Though. Yeah. If I had said 
in Japanese, like if that's him saying that in Japanese, nobody would blink an eye. Nobody would care. And so that's also peculiar to me. And so I feel a little bit sad about media running away with this and making this a big issue when they're not considering the circumstances of the finish of the match. Right. But that, but you are only judged. Yeah on what you said like like you can like we can tell this right now just by the amount of articles that have already been written about and and it's a shame because like this is good what he's going to be known for now like for the new generation of people this is going to be the first thing that pops up it's a shame it's unfortunate that that's the way he ends his career (laughs) but (laughs) after all that hard work he's going to be remembered as a japanese guy who said queer and faggot in his press conference like that's what he's going to be remembered for it's a shame that that's going to be the number one takeaway from a very interesting match with a fucking fantastic finish and a great way to end your career that you go down to the poison that you inflicted on everybody else i think it's a fucking fantastic finish to his career outstanding follow us on instagram and twitter at six man podcast you can tag in with a dm If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to write to us at sixmanpodcast at gmail.com. For now, it's time to tag out. <laughs>